I said to myself, Look, I have increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I have experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly. But I learned that this too is a chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow, and the more knowledge, the more grief. Every biblical writer has a unique approach to their work. All the scriptures uh, were written by men and women who had a different approach. The writer, the author of the book of Job was a consummate dramatist. The author of the book of Psalms was a poet. Uh, The author of the Gospel of Luke was a historian. The author of the book of Genesis and Exodus wrote a historical novelist. In it, he describes the powerful sagas of epic proportions. The author of the book of Ecclesiastes is a poet. He's an artist, a different kind of artist. He's a photographer. He actually, uh, the word photography literally means written with light. He wants to enlighten us, to help us understand things that matter in life. This fall season, if he was taking snapshots or pictures around Boston, he'd walk into our homes, he would see parents packing sandwiches and snacks in the bags as the kids get ready to go to school. We'd take another picture as they stepped in front of the porch so they could post the picture, uh, Facebook or Instagram, the first picture, seeing your child go to school. And then he would take another snapshot of these kids walking on the pavement, waiting for that bus, ready to go to school. He would take pictures of parents trying to get ready, um, send their college students back to school, moving to the Boston apartments all over in this area. He would take uh, snapshots or pictures of adults taking night classes so they could learn and grow. Uh, the... Today, this poet was taking shots, uh, as we've just said. Uh, today, this poet, the preacher, his name is Koheleth. He wants to help us with our learning and our wisdom and our knowledge. He knows the challenge and hard work that goes into study. He knows the hard work that goes into uh, spending time and driven and trying to cram for papers and trying to graduate and to finish those courses we're taking. So he wants to help us. I don't know about you, this is how he starts. He says, I applied my mind to study and explore by wisdom. Look at that word, all that is done under the heavens. Put any subject in there, psychology, medicine, mathematics, innovation. He's studying. Koheleth, the preacher, the teacher, is studying. He applied himself to study. And he discovered something that we soon discover as students. It's a heavy burden that God has laid on mankind. 
One of the biggest questions you'll find people wrestle with in academia and research is that they try to study, who am I? Where is this world going? Why do I exist? What does this all mean? What's the purpose of life? What's the meaning of life? I studied, I applied myself, I wanted to learn and to, it's what a heavy burden. I remember when I was in college, I struggled with the same sense of trying to discover why I exist, what was my purpose? I changed from becoming a computer scientist, I studied, studied computers so I could make a living, earn a living, make some money. I changed my major to study music because I thought maybe I'll be an artist of a different kind. I switched, changed my major to uh, theology so I could study God so I could try to understand who God is. I applied myself. I love what it means to study. But look what he says in the next verse. He says, but I devoted myself to knowledge and study. I was determined to find wisdom and the answers to my question. I had these questions. These questions were lingering, beckoning, asking me, petitioning me to give an answer to them and to learn how wicked and foolish stupidity is. I don't know about you, when I, was, uh, when I moved to this country, one of the things I used to see was billboard signs. You see men and women hold diplomas, smiling big, excited, and I wanted that life. I wanted to graduate. I didn't know the hard work that goes into studying, writing papers, being on time in class, and all that other stuff. I devoted myself to that. Even as an adult now, as a pastor, actually last year, Rebecca and I, we thought, you know, we want to give our daughter, Grace, a heads up star. Why don't we apply into a school so she can uh, go to toddler preschool? The interesting, we discovered that Grace actually, uh, her application was denied. And his, this is why it was denied. She was born a week late. She came a week later. Can you imagine the frustration and the disappointment in me? I can't get my child, my daughter, an edge to start in school. You wouldn't believe how disappointed I was. Actually, and the author wants us to know that chasing the highest scores so our kids, we can set them up for success. It's a burden. It's worrisome. Today, actually, actually a, few, a few months ago, I saw a 60-minute documentary it's talking about parents who try to withhold their kids a grade so they can have an edge in sports. This is how passionate we get, how excited we are, because we want our kids to study and learn and grow and become, and we have these dreams of what we want them to become. Please don't misunderstand. I want to affirm the young people and the children here who are getting ready, excited, uh, busting with energy to go into the schools. Uh, I want you to know that, actually, as Nelson Mandela said, that education is the most powerful thing, powerful weapon in the world, not just for developing a skill for economic success, but for nation building and for, actually, for reconciliation. The love of learning started with monasteries, Actually, that's a good thing. They became the creator of academic guilds. The ancient world, actually, they loved so much education that they reserved it only for just the few, the elite. But it was this notion that every child bore God's image that created universal literacy. The old delude act 
was under the nation, notion that God does not want any child ignorant. Uh, friends, a quarter of a million people come to Boston to go to school. Boston's the epicenter of learning and academics and study and research and all these great things. Universities such as Cambridge and Oxford and Harvard all began under Jesus-inspired efforts to study God, to know God, to love God with our minds. There's nothing wrong with pursuing education and learning. But look, this camera shot, the Koheleth, the preacher, uh, wants you to make sure you get his message. He zeroes in, he takes another snapshot. He says, be warned, my son my daughter, of anything in addition to them, of making many books, there is no end. Study worries the body. Here we see another picture. I have my camera. Here we see somebody who's exhausted, somebody who's devoted himself to learning, somebody who's obsessed with getting a good education, collecting information, He's solving problems. He's mastering innovation. He's uh, creating new technology, discovering new things. But he soon discovers it's never enough. He soon discovers that uh, he can never solve all of life mysteries and complexities. He discovers that, you know what? You can't learn your way and solve the problem of sin and sorrow and death. Look what he says, the next verse. The greater I learn, the greater my wisdom, the greater my disappointment, my grief. To increase in knowledge only increase sorrow. This is what he discovered. He discovered, he discovered the limits of learning. The downside that comes with the pursuit of knowledge. Friends, what's missing is God's wisdom, the pursuit of God's wisdom. There's a difference between knowledge and wisdom, not just wisdom, God's wisdom. Knowledge is not the same thing as wisdom. Knowledge involves facts, information, and data, sometimes clarity of that. Knowledge does not prepare you to meet God. Wisdom prepares you. It's indispensable. You realize you're in the hand of God, and he holds your hand, the palm of your hand. The Hebrew word for wisdom is skill. Skill applied to life. It's skill, it's discipline, it's righteousness. The author of the book of Hebrews said, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Wisdom starts with the truth of God, his holiness, his power, his love, his wisdom, his goodness. And on that foundation, on that unchanging reality, we build our lives as a strong foundation. So when life happens, don't break. To reject God's wisdom, friends, is a dangerous way to live. Wisdom is this God-given ability to see all of life under the sun God's way, to handle and to manage all that God has under the sun God's way. So, you want to find wisdom. You want to set your kids up for success. Uh, you want to study hard. You want to learn. How would you do that? You recognize that God is the source of everything. Uh, you, look what he says. It's the next verse. He says, remember your creator. In the days of your youth, 
before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. It's not satisfying. It's meaningless. It's worthless. It's empty. It's vanity. It's like air. It says, remember. Now, I love the way the scriptures, uh, this actually a photographer, artist, a poet, I love the way he describes it. He says, remember your creator. Now, when he says creator, he's talking about everything is grounded in God alone. Our existence is grounded in God. All of learning is grounded in God. Our learning, our power, pursuit of power, our careers, everything is grounded in who God is. Your creator, he made everything. He made this old, big old world. And our hearts are restless until we find rest in him. Creator, he made you, he made me, he made everything. Um, If our learning is going to make any sense, then the use of power and influence and progress, aspirations and fame and wealth need to be grounded in God. That's why he says, remember your creator. Now, the word remember is an interesting word. It's not talking about recalling information. It's not talking about considering information. It's not talking about what he's talking about. I say, hey, it means act decisively on God's behalf. That's what it means in the Hebrew, this word. Remember your creator. Remember, if everything is grounded in God, remember God, act decisively on God's behalf. That's what he wants you to remember. In fact, we have an example when Hannah prayed for a child. We're told that God remembered her. God didn't just think of Hannah. God didn't just uh, remember her plight. God acted on her behalf and gave her a son, Samuel. The teacher's telling us, you know where wisdom begins, friends? Wisdom begins when we remember to act decisively on God's behalf. When it comes to our pursuits, act decisively on God's behalf. When it comes to our marriages, act decisively on God's behalf. When it comes to how we raise kids, act decisively. Remember you're creating the days of your youth. When it comes to our finances, our relationships, because when you act decisively on God's behalf, that is wisdom, friends. Sometimes when we are young, we can easily develop misconceptions about what's really important in life, like getting serious about our relationship with God. The teacher, the preacher, the photographer is saying, remember God. Remember your creator. To remember means we drop our self-sufficiency, our independence, our self-reliance. Uh, it means that we bring God front and center of everything that we do. Uh, to remember is to recognize that God is the source of everything. Families, parents, this is an invitation for us to teach our kids while they're still young. God cares more about my daughter Grace and Emma, loving him more, knowing God more, than my concern that they go to Harvard. That's what he's telling us. It, to accomplish the most for God in a lifetime, you must start early in life. So he wants you to act decisively on God's behalf. The second thing he wants you to remember is the teacher reminds us to act now before the aging process happens. It's inevitable. It's going to happen. The preacher lists the many realities of what it's like to age. And he wants us to maximize the opportunities now while we have the time. Hey, friends, I was thinking about this. 
and I borrowed some of these. They don't make these anymore, right? Remember some of these pictures? I love these. He's saying, he's saying, don't become old and look through the album of your life with regrets. Fill your album, the pictures, fill pictures in there of you serving God, loving God, pictures of you living a legacy that will live on after you're gone. He's saying fill your, fill, fill your album, the album of your life. In fact, the psalmist says we're given 60, 70, 80 years. That's it. What do you want to remember? You know, fill your scrapbook with snapshots of a life well lived in pursuit of God's wisdom. Here's what I picture. I picture generations working together. I picture the old can give the young what it is, what they know about God, and the young can pursue God, love God, and get to know God with all their energy. Here's how he describes the aging process. So he brings us to focus on really what matters in life. He says, remember him before the light of the sun, moon, and stars is dim to your old eyes, and rain and clouds continually darken your sky. Remember him before your legs, the guards of your house start to tremble, and before your shoulders, the strong men stoop. He's describing this process where our body starts sort of um, getting weak. Uh, this Three weeks ago, I was reminded again when I went to Camp of the Woods, I played basketball for four straight days. That was a bad decision on my end. Because <laughs> when I played basketball, it's three weeks later, I'm still feeling the pain. <laughs> the teacher, the preacher saying, Stephen, you're getting old. Remember God now. Don't wait. Uh, I read a New York Times article that came up that those who are baby boomers, those who are 50 years old and up, um, are working longer and they're living longer. But that doesn't mean that they're happy because they're working longer and living longer. They actually, he describes that the baby boomers are looking at their lives. They look back at the pictures of their life. They look with disappointment and self-pity. It's not just the baby boomers, but the young people too. They're pursuing wisdom. They have a good education. They have a good house. They have a home, a car. They have all the nine, whole nine yards. This is what the New York Times is describing what's going on here. Uh, they call this the American paradox. Now, these young people who have nice homes, great careers, a good education, find themselves they are unfulfilled. They were told you can grow up and be anything you want, but they don't really know now what they want to be. They were told, hey, look, um, you want to be accepted? But now they feel sort of alienated. They're more connected now, but they're more alone. They have everything, but yet they have so little. They're unfulfilled. Uh, this is what the teacher, he's trying to help us to gain a God's perspective on the world. That he created it all. Remember, he's the creator of the universe. Remember him now before you get old. In fact, I was thinking about this as like, give God the best years of your life and you'll never regret it. This is what he says. Look at this. Remember him before you become fearful 
of falling. Actually, skip. Let me go back to that verse. Remember him before your teeth, your few remaining servants. Stop grinding. And before your eyes, the women looking through the windows see dimly. He's saying, there's going to come a time, Stephen. I hate to break it to you. When uh, you buy that beef stew and you can't even eat it. Remember that. And then he goes on to say, remember him before you become fearful of, of falling and worry about danger and you drag along without energy like a dying grasshopper. Because remember, the grasshopper has energy. It's popping, it's going, it's getting things done. And the cupperberry no longer inspires sexual desire. Now in Israel, the cupperberry was considered an aphrodisiac. Do I even need to say something about that? He's saying some when you're, things are not going to work right. He, he gets even more depressing. And I'm like, why, why are you so depressing? I, I'll, give me something good. Come on, teacher. Come on, Koheleth, preacher. Give me something good. I like to hear this. He goes on to say, remember him before you near the grave, your everlasting home. When the mourners will weep at your funeral. I don't know about you. I know we don't like to talk about death. Death is depressing. It's dark. It's morbid. It's, let's just, just don't like to talk about death. But the teacher is not being pessimistic. He's being honest. He's not being morbid. He's being realistic. He says it's going to come a time when all this life is going to be done. Steve Covey wrote a book, The Seven Habits of Highly Successful People. And in that book, he mentions habits. And the second habit is called um, beginning with an end in mind. Thinking what I want to be 10, uh, 50 years from now and beginning, begin living life in that perspective. And he pictures in that book a story. Uh, he wants us to imagine, you picture, you're going to a funeral procession. You're going to this funeral home. You get in that funeral home. You walk in and you get a brochure and you look at the brochure of the person who just passed and you find your name in there. That's you. You walk and you walk up front, you see a box of a body and you see this body in there. You go to look in the box and it's your body. And he wants us to imagine if there were four kinds of people who walked in and came to help you uh, sort of remember who you are, how you lived your life. Your, your pastor is coming, uh, your boss is coming, your Relatives are coming, maybe your teacher. What would you want them to say at that funeral? Beginning with the end in mind. What we are learning from the teacher or the preacher is saying, prioritize God and his kingdom right now. Invest now. John Ottberg is a preacher, an author. He wrote a book a few years ago, and he was telling in that book a story about his grandma. They used to love to play this game called Monopoly. And every summer he would go see his grandma and they would play this game and his grandma would win every single time. Every single time she would win. But one summer he was determined that grandma, you're going down. You're going down. And he actually succeeded and won that summer. And then grandma turned to John and said, John, I want to teach you a good lesson it all goes back in the box. 
That's what the teacher is trying to help us understand. That's what he's trying to bring our focus on. Now, now we're depressed. Uh, now things have been dark and gloomy. Where is the good news? Where is the gospel? Where is Jesus in this? He tells us. Next verse. Now all has been heard. He's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. Here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the duty of all mankind. In fact, other translations, this is the whole of man, the total summation of who we are as beings. The secret to life, friends, to our what and our why is fearing God and loving God. Now, in the scriptures, the word fearing God, loving God, and knowing God and trusting God, they're really one and in the same thing. Often people, when they think of fear, they think of the wrong kind of fear where they're waiting. They think maybe God is up there watching me uh, to mess up so that he can punish me. Uh, this is not what he's talking about when he talks about fearing God. This fear is a respectful awe a child has for a father. It's this heartfelt love we have for God. This is what I say. Fearing God is this having this sense of awe and wonder for who God is and what he has done. I'm in awe. I'm amazed. I'm overwhelmed with this God who created the world and what he has done. And I live my life from that perspective. This is what theologian Ferguson Sinclair, put, this is how he puts it. The fear of God arises from our discovery of God's love for us in our sin of brokenness and weakness. It's the sense of awe that results from the discovery that he knows me through and through. That sense of discovery. Did you catch our mission here? Discovering life for the good of the world. Once I discover who God is and I'm in awe and wonder of who God is and I align my life and how I live my life, how I do all of life and I act decisively on God's behalf, that is what he's talking about fearing God here. God knows you. God values you. God is interested in you. That puts me in the sense of awe. Wow, God loves me. There is a God who made this big old world and he knows my name and he loves me. We sing all these songs all the time. Uh, we're fearing, actually, God here. It puts us in our place. It puts our aspirations, our hopes, our dreams, all these things we pursue, all these things we care about, we love. Puts that in perspective. Fearing God actually puts all hopes in their place. These ones. Fearing that my life doesn't matter. If I fear God, I know my life matters. Fearing of getting old. I know when I get old, as long as I'm giving God the best years of my life, my life is in God's hands. Fearing uh, of missing out. Fearing of our body wearing out. A fear of death. When you fear God, when you have this reverential respect for who God is, what he's done for you, because he loves you and he values you. That's amazing. He's what I'm saying. He's what I'm saying as we wrap up this series. You can't study marriage by looking at marriage or learning about marriage. Study God who made it and who gave it. I'll show you how to do marriage. You can't study 
or learn about kids by looking at kids. Study God who has written all about kids. He knows how to do it. You can't study about this universe and be in awe and wonder of this universe without knowing the God who made it. You can't look at you and study you so you can know who you are and understand your purpose and your role in this world. Look at the God who made you who has a plan and purpose for your life. And we did this a couple weeks ago. We had kids come in here and it was an amazing experience. They're learning these big ideas. God made you and they're saying, wow, God, God is for you. Wow, God. God is with you. Wow, God. They're saying, hey, we're in awe of who God is and living with that perspective, that is wisdom. That's wisdom. In fact, uh, we're told in the gospel, the gospel of Luke, when Jesus was 12 years old, the Bible tells us, so the scriptures tell us, that he, were, he grew in wisdom and stature and with favor. Amen. This Jesus who grew, the wisest person that ever lived, you know what he said about being wise? This is what he said. He said, seek first God's kingdom. And every other thing you want, you care for, will be added to you. Jesus said this. Oh, Jesus also talked about fear. This is what he said about fear. Save your fear for God. This respectful, reverential, this, is, this sense of awe. It's like, oh, wow, God, amazing, awesome. Save it for God. Because he holds your entire life, your body, your soul in his hands. So why are we worrying about anything else? Friends, I want us to have, as a church, I dream of a church where I see us as a church that is in awe of who God is, that creates memories and pictures where there are pictures in here where we see kids learning, sitting in Kidstown, learning about God. They're in awe because they're hearing the story of Jesus. I see a dozen or so adults sitting around a living room, their Bible's open. That's the picture I see. I imagine, I see it. I see us looking for opportunities to serve and love our neighbors because we're in awe of the God who made us and placed us here. He gave us a mission so we could go and find our goal. I see, I dream, I imagine a church where we are a people discovering our gift and how God has wired us and serving God's kingdom. Wherever we are, whether we're at work, whether we're at home, or in the community, that's the memories, the pictures, uh, 50, 60 years, uh, this church, this is a church that created memories because they feared God. Now, the degrees are awesome, they're great. The diplomas are good things, you get a job. But it's never enough, it's worrisome. As we learn, I see us saying yes to finding how God has wired us and serving him with energy and passion. I see us in awe and wonder of who God is and what he's done. So will we prioritize worship and the discipline of gathering together as God's people every week? I see us as a church create a scrapbook filled with snapshots of really what God is doing and telling stories all over Watertown and all these areas. That's the 
image I see. And I think Koheleth will agree with me that when you fear God, when you have this sense of awe and wonder who God is, that's a game changer. When we discover that God made us for himself, we will seek to grow in our sense of awe and wonder of him. Friends, God made you. And when you grow in your sense of fearing, loving, with all your passion and energy, and devotion, who God is, that sums up the whole duty of man. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that you're awesome. You're amazing. We love you. We need you. Give us grace. Thank you that you're a shepherd who made us for yourself. God, help us to seek to grow in our sense of awe, of who you are, that we'll be in awe and we'll be in wonder. You're a God who made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until we find rest in you. God, as we plan this season, as we send our kids off to school, as we go back to work, as we wrap up vacation, God, help us to put front and center of the things that matter to you. God, we want to do what you want us to do. We want to hear and listen and follow you. You're so loving and so kind. You invite us every day and you give us many opportunities to discover who you are. So be with us. Encourage us. Give us new energy, new passion. Give us wisdom that comes from you. That we'll always be in awe of who you are. Great God, mighty God. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Mm-hmm.